Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So, Papa was what I called my grandfather. Pawpaw is also the name of a a possum on an extremely obscure and nerdy podcast. But Pawpaw is also the name of a fruit. I did not know this until today, that there is a fruit that is native to America that grows in the mid-Atlantic called the pawpaw fruit. And what is distinctive about the pawpaw fruit is that it is the fruit that takes the longest to come to maturity and bear fruit. No other fruit tree takes as long as the pawpaw fruit. It can take between four and seven years for the tree to be mature enough to bear its first fruit. Compare that to an apple tree, which can start bearing apple in as little as two years. But the pawpaw fruit, no, no. This is a decade-long work. You can't just wake up one morning and decide to farm pawpaw fruits. You have to spend time and get the fruit trees to the point where they will flower. And then after you get these pawpaw, I don't know how many times I'm going to say that, but I'm sure it's a record for sermons in history. You have to wait for these pawpaw fruits to, to flower and then be pollinated. It is arduous work. It requires a deep and long-term faithfulness, which is probably why most of us had never heard of the fruit before this morning. I had never heard of the fruit before I Googled the term, what fruit takes the longest to come to harvest? And then I found out about the pawpaw. By the way, it's said to taste like a cross between mango and bananas, which sounds amazing um, and has natural things in it that make it solidify, which makes uh, incredible ice cream. I don't know if any of that is true, but that is what the internet has told me this week. To, rec- to harvest pawpaw fruit requires an incredible amount of faithfulness, which is something that is difficult for us. It is outside of our cultural lexicon. There's so many examples we could pull out. We could pull out the statistics that are tried and true and well-worn about the, the number of marriages that end in divorce and what percentage of those are due to unfaithfulness. Or we could talk about the way that, that jobs and the, the labor market has changed. In fact, I read this week that, that the millennial generation, Generation Y, has already on average changed jobs more times, and this is people between the ages of 25 and 40, have changed jobs more times than the greatest generation, or I'm sorry, the baby boomer generation, changed in their entire career. Let me say that again because I bungled it a bit. Millennials have changed jobs more in their careers already than baby boomers did over the course of their entire life. Now, of course, there are times when marriages do fall apart for good reasons. There are times when you should leave a job, but at the same time, we as a culture have a hard time with faithfulness. We as a people not the people outside of the church, even those of us inside the church have trouble with faithfulness. 
And I began to think about where does this inconsistency come from? I think part of it, at least, comes from our obsession with results. It comes from the way that we sort of target focus on the ends of something. So if a, if a marriage isn't resulting in the exact happiness we want, we leave. If a job isn't delivering the pay scale or title increases that we hoped for, we bail. If a friend doesn't provide the social or emotional benefits we want from them, we begin to move away. Or maybe at worst, we cut them off. This culture permeates so much of what we do. And we don't even realize it. We're not even conscious of it. In the words of folk singer David Bazan, who was writing Pedro the Lion when he said this, if it isn't making dollars, then it isn't making sense. If it isn't making dollars, it isn't making sense. We live by those lyrics more than we realize. Because what happens with you and I is we take every one of our actions, every piece of our emotional uh, engagement, we take everything that we do and we, we give it a sort of value judgment. What was this worth? What was this of value to me? And so we assign a value to every piece of our life and then we just evaluate the results and the things that bring better value, we give more time to. And the things that give us less value, ignore. And what happens when we live our life by this moment by moment evaluation of everything according to the benefit to us, we kill any chance we have at developing the characteristic of faithfulness. Faithfulness is not a matter of results. As much as we want it to be, faithfulness is not a matter of results. It's a matter of diligence to the simple things that God has given us to do. And so many times we begin to measure our faithfulness in terms of results. And when we do that, we short circuit God's work in our hearts. If we are evaluating everything on what it produces then we short circuit the work of God to create faithfulness in us because faithfulness is developed by slow, simple acts of repeated loyalty to applying to the gospel to ourselves again and again and again. Faithfulness is like tending to a pawpaw tree. You don't always get to see the results today or tomorrow or in this decade. And yet, when Paul writes out, what are the fruits of the Spirit? What are the things that God is doing in your life and mine? What are the sort of things that a vital relationship with Jesus creates? One of them is faithfulness. And so I want to, to look this morning at a parable that is concerned with the idea of faithfulness. So if, if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to, to open them up. We're going to be looking at Matthew, and we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25. And so I'd ask that you would stand um, as I read God's word this morning. I'm going to read verses 14 down through verse 30. City Church, hear the word of God. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them with his property. To one, he gave five talents. To another, 
two, to another, one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents? Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine, my own, with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has shall be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. This familiar parable begins in a way that a number of parables do. A master is set to go away on a journey and is going to set things in order for what should happen while he is away. And in this case, he comes to three of his servants. And to those three servants, he gives a differing amount of money. To one, he gives five. To another, he gives two. To another, he gives one. And then he goes away. And the story of the first two servants is pretty similar. Even if the amount of money that they were given from the beginning is a little bit different, the story goes exactly the same for both of these two characters. And when the master returns, he commends both of the first two servants with the exact same words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. As we read those words, if we're here this morning and we're a Christian, I think most of us, if we sort of quietly think about the idea of God saying those words to us at the end of our life, there is a a sort of longing that is created within us. What a thing to hear, well done. What a thing to hear, good and faithful servant. What a thing to know, enter into the joy of your master. 
for Jesus to look at us, to smile at us, and to call us faithful is something that it's normal for Christians to aspire to. That we should want to please God in this way because of what he has already done for us in the cross, but also in the daily graces that he delivers to us. This set of words, this phrase is something we should all long for. So I think the obvious thing to do is let's take a look at how they got there. What did they do in order to merit this distinction from the master in the parable? Matthew describes two things that they did. First of all, as soon as the master left, they got to work with these talents right away, immediately. They started working on this at once, is the words here in the ESV. The first characteristic of these faithful servants is that they were quick to get about what God had given them to do. And the second thing is also some words about time. Because how long was the master gone? The master was gone for a long time. So these servants were not only quick to immediately, right away, go to work on what the master had given them to do, but they did it for a long time. This idea of consistency over time is why Jesus calls them faithful. Faithfulness is not just being dependable. It's not just being able to go, wow, that guy really came through for me. That, this, this gal really came through for me. No, it's dependability over the long haul. And that's exactly what we see in this story, that they were dependable, that they went to work right away, and they did it again and again over a long period of time, which is exactly what trips us up. As a character trait, there is no way to hack faithfulness. There's no express lanes in faithfulness. Those of you guys who have been around Tampa for a long time uh, may know and may have experienced already the new Gandhi flyover lanes. Uh, and if you have had to drive uh, from St. Petersburg along Gandhi uh, to Tampa, these lanes make all of the difference in the world. What was before a nightmarish trip is a very less nightmarish trip now because you are 30 feet above all of the ham and eggers paying your $1.25 to just shoot across all of Gandhi at 70 miles an hour. It is wonderful. The problem is that there's nothing like that for faithfulness. There are no toll lanes or HOV lanes. There are no express checkouts, no 10, li 10 items or less. Faithfulness must be repeated over and over again over a long period of time. And if you're anything like me, that's where the desire to give up comes in. Because if I can't have it now, it's hard for me to want to develop it. Think about those farmers who are farming the pawpaw trees. They wake up, and year after year, they're pruning and fertilizing, watering and caring. And then they go to sleep and they wake up and they do it again. 
and a year goes by and there are no fruits. So what do they do? They fertilize and prune. They water and care for these plants again and again. And then the season ends and the winter comes and the leaves fall and the spring comes again. And there the farmers are watering and caring, pruning and fertilizing again, year after year. It appears that nothing is happening with these trees because all of the work that the farmers are doing on these trees is invisible to your eye and mine. We cannot see the work that they're doing, what it's doing inside of that tree. But eventually, eventually something happens. Year after year after year, eventually those pawpaw trees begin to yield fruit. We can never see it coming. We never know when it's going to be because it is hidden and invisible. And that's what trips us up. You and I are quick to give up because the work of faithfulness in our hearts, the work of faithfulness in our souls is invisible. It is slow. It is paced. And oftentimes we give up before we can see its fruit. I can't see a measurable difference in the short term. So I get bored and I look elsewhere. I want something else that could change me in a short amount of time, which is why everywhere we go, there are ways in which you can shortcut everything. Want to lose weight? Here's the newest fad to do it very quickly. Want to be rich? Have I got an idea for you? Want to make all the money in the stock market? Welcome to AMC. I wander away from faithfulness. We wander away from faithfulness because other things give us false hope that they're going to deliver on that. Something's going to get us there quicker. That's, that's what every one of the false gods that we turn to does, is it promises us results and it promises us results faster. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to say something to you at this point. I wanted to ask you if you've ever seen a truly dependable person. I think you have. I know I have. The question I have for you is where did that come from? Where did that faithful person that you knew that was dependable year after year after year? What was their character like? What were they about? Whatever that is, I think it's worth noting to you as you sort of think through this morning. But I wanted to say something to us who are Christians as well. Faithfulness cannot be hacked. Because faithfulness results are always unseen in the moment. This is... This is why a lot of pastors really love to mow their own lawn uh, because so much of what I do in my life, I do not get to see the result of, or at least not with any level of expediency. But I'll tell you what, I can mow my yard and because I live in St. Pete, it takes me all of 10 minutes. But when I'm done, I can go out to my yard and maybe I have a, a cold beverage in my hand and I can stand in the street and look at my yard and go, oh, yes. I have done this. Do you see the lines? They are diagonal, as all lines should be in yards. Do you see the other yards? They are not like my yard. My yard is special. Why? Why do I love that so much? Why do I have so much yard 
righteousness. It's because it's one of the few things in my life that I can control and see the results of. Church, we have to step away from results orientation if we are going to see faithfulness grow in our lives. Because faithfulness is slow. Faithfulness is hidden. Faithfulness may take decades to develop, but it is what is real and what God is doing in our life. The master in this story has gone away, but he is not absent. He is still at work in small and quiet and invisible ways. And so let us be faithful like these servants, diligent over a long period of time and trust not that I'm going to get to see the results, but trust that the Lord of the harvest is the one who yields these results in my heart and others. Let's turn away from result-oriented schemes to the things that only hidden faithfulness can create. That's what these two guys show us. But there's a third one, isn't there? His story is a good bit different. Instead of working hard with the amount of money that was given to him, he takes it and he buries it. Which, which is a joke that is sort of lost on us, uh, mostly because many of us don't even carry cash around anymore. Many of us, the only money we ever have looks the same whether we have a lot of money or a little money, and it's just a small plastic card. There could be $5 or $5 million on that card. It all looks the same to us. We don't have this concept of a lot of money being bigger. Now, some of us do have that concept because we, we grew up with the character Scrooge McDuck, um, who kept all of his money in coin form, uh, and he would then swim as a duck would do around in the coins. Some of us understand that's what big money looks like. That's what the rich people look like. But this story talks about talents. And in, in this time, the, the folks of, of Rome would often weigh out their money at these huge rocks of silver. And so this is a, a chunk of silver that is 80 to 100 pounds. And so you get this image that this master sort of gives all of these people these enormous silver stones. And some of them take them and make more money with them, but another takes it into his backyard, digs up a hole big enough for an 80-pound chunk of silver, buries it, and you can almost see him patting the last sort of pieces with his spade down. Patting it down and looking pleased with himself saying, ah, oh, yes, this is, this is what's going to be good. I've really done it. It's a ridiculous image. But that's not the most ridiculous thing about him and this passage. The most ridiculous thing is what he says to the master when the master comes back. It is, it is absolutely comical. What does he say to the master? Well, I know that you reap where you don't sow. And I know that you harvest fields that you didn't plant. I know that. So, you know, I just buried it in my yard next to the dog bones. There's your money. You want it back? He knows better. 
He knows exactly what the master is like. In fact, did you catch that none of the other servants say anything about the master? It's only the third servant who says something about the master. He professes a lot more than the rest of them did. He knew what was going on. And he just sort of sat tight expecting what? Who knows? I don't know. He did a little bit of work at the beginning to bury this talent. And then he lived his life with no more thought of the master. He could say the right things but it didn't mean anything to his life. And that's the temptation for us. We come into contact with Jesus and we see his truth, his goodness, his beauty, and we are tempted to work a little bit, to invest a little bit, to take the time to dig a pit in the backyard big enough. And then we completely ignore him. We walk away. We wander off and do our own thing. This is the opposite of faithfulness. This is faithlessness. Even though this guy had the right profession, even though this guy had the right things to say, he believes in the master, but not enough for it to actually change anything about his life. And he just sort of wanders off. See, here's the thing. We can't see the results of ordinary faithfulness in our lives. We can't. But the writer of Hebrews tells us exactly why that's important. Because faith is the evidence of things unseen. If we are to be faithful over a long period of time, that requires us to believe that something is happening in your soul and mine that I can't see and that you can't see. We're so quick to want God to do the big and flashy thing, to do the amazing thing. We're so quick for God to want God to make us radical that we ignore that faith is the evidence of things unseen, the quiet things, the invisible things that God is doing. Faith is believing in things unseen. And we're so tempted to, to move on quickly. And to forget that even when we can't see it, God is at work in our lives. Even when we can't see it, God is at work in the lives of those who we love and are praying for. That's why it takes faith. It isn't easy. It's not a diet fad. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme. The poet Josh Ritter put it this way, we need faith for the same reason that it's so hard to find. We need faith for the same reason that it's so hard to find because faith deals always with invisible things, with hidden things, with things that you can't see. We need faith for the reason that it's so hard to find. The servant acknowledges the existence of these hidden things, but he doesn't really believe them because it doesn't change him. And so the words that he hears from the master are much different than the first two. First of all, he is chided and what he has is taken away from him. And then he's cast into darkness in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus' most common phrase to talk about hell. Faithlessness has a terrible end. And so this is a dire warning. What are we to do? What are we to do? Because even the best of us will admit that our faithfulness is a matter of stopping and starting. That there, is, that there is stalling and sputtering 
on our best days in our faith. That even those of us who believe the most strongly are haunted by our doubts. What do we do? What do we do to cultivate the slow fruit of faithfulness? We need something else. We can't do it on our own. We need something outside of us to begin to work inside of us. We need the faithfulness of another. We need the perfect faithfulness that we could never achieve, which is where the truest and simplest act of faith comes in. When we trust that Jesus' death has killed the penalty for our faithlessness. And when we trust that Jesus' overwhelming and unrelenting faithfulness in his life that he exhibited while on earth brought us into union with him, God is ultimately faithful to us because of our faith in Christ, not our faithfulness. Think about what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. The beauty of the gospel is that by the simple faith of believing and trusting in Jesus for our very faithfulness, by exercising our faith in that direction, we are united to Christ. So not only do we experience the the lack of penalty, the lack of being thrown out with the gnashing of teeth, but we receive the 10 talents that Jesus has earned through his faithfulness. We are united with him. And so we have the opportunity, church, to deepen our experience of that faithfulness. Not to change the nature of our faithfulness to God, but to have a deepening experience of faithfulness being cultivated in our hearts. Faithfulness in intending the gospel day by day and week by week. That is the sort of slow growth that produces the sweet fruit of faithfulness by the Spirit. And this is work which no one else can see. This is work that not just produces trustworthiness and dependability towards others, but it produces those things again and again over a long period of time. And in so many ways, this is what the world around us needs to see in a world that is plagued by flightiness and impulsiveness the contrast that is created by us slowly and faithfully walking with Jesus isn't flashy. It's not even necessarily successful. Instead, it looks like real dependability over and over again. It is a wholeness of character that can only be created by the supernatural work of God. So church, let us go at once. But let us go not to work harder or to do more, but let us go at once to see again and again the goodness of Jesus through his word, through regularly reflecting on what it says, through regular prayer. Let us be quick to avail ourselves of the normal means that God has given us, of hearing his word preached to us, of receiving the sacrament week after week to have our souls fed from the inside out, just like a tree that is nourished by the sap that slowly grows in strength until it's able to produce fruit, we become like those pawpaw trees.
God grows us in faithfulness because he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. So let's trust. Let's trust not in our acts of faithfulness. Let's trust in the one who is faithful to us. Let us put our hope and our union with Christ, not our achievements or successes. Church, let us increase in faithfulness by turning our eyes to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let's pray.